We're going to start in the book of Revelation tonight, but I am not my dad. We are not going to do a 47-part series on Revelation. We're just going to do one lesson. We're going to talk about the church at Laodicea. I want you to read with me. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you were lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. And white garments that you may be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Now, this is a letter written by, from Jesus Christ to a church. And actually, it's one of seven letters. And in the series of sermons on this, I call it the seven because of these seven different churches. I want to tell you a little bit about where this happened as we get into this. Is one of these like a pointer? A little bit, kind of. Okay. Very good. The Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey was down here on the Isle of... No, he wasn't on the Isle of Patmos. That was John who wrote this later. <laughs> I'm already messing up my words. Okay. John was on this Isle of Patmos. Paul, on his second missionary journey, had come to Ephesus. And he spent a lot of time in Ephesus. The Bible says that he was very successful in his evangelistic efforts in the area of Ephesus. In fact, he was so successful, the Bible says that the gospel was published throughout all of Asia. So you look at this area up here, this whole area heard about the gospel. And all of these green dots here are where there were churches that were established. Now there were more churches than just these, but these are the churches that these letters are sent to. Now, at some point while Paul was down here in Ephesus, whoa, wrong button. Some point while Paul was down here in Ephesus, some guys from Colossae came down to Ephesus. A guy named Philemon, with probably his wife and his son, Aphia and Archippus, they came down to Ephesus, and they heard the gospel. Now, I don't know if they went to hear Paul, or if they just happened to, while they were in Ephesus, go, ah, let's go listen to this guy. I don't know. But we know they and a guy named Epaphras were converted, okay? And you can find this in the book of Acts with the discussion of this, when this happened. They're converted. They go back to Colossae and they start a church. Now, probably around the same time, the churches in Laodicea and Hierapolis were also established. 
And if you're familiar with your Bible, if you've read it much, you've read about Laodicea and Colossae and Hierapolis. The church at Colossae, which the letter of Colossians was written to, met in the home of this guy Philemon. Now, Laodicea and Hierapolis and Colossae were tri-cities. They were close together, okay? So they were considered a tri-city area. Hierapolis was an area where people would come for a resort. They had hot springs there and they were therapeutic. And people would come on vacation. They would travel. Wealthy people would come to Hierapolis to their resorts. The city of Colossae was kind of the wealthy residential area. If you owned a resort or you owned a big business in Laodicea, then you would probably live in Colossae. Laodicea was the business capital. Laodicea, as you can tell, it's right here on this road, right at the junction of those roads. It was a very central business place, and they were very successful in business. They were extremely wealthy. I'm not as familiar with the Houston area, but that was the North Dallas of this part of the the world at the time. North Dallas is a very prosperous area. That's why this was, extremely wealthy area. Now, I don't know. I've wondered this. I've asked my dad, and he didn't know either. Why did he write to Laodicea, not Colossae and Hierapolis? I don't know, but he just did. And this letter, probably after the people in Colossae saw the letter that was written to the church at Laodicea, they were probably glad that they didn't get a letter, right? Can you imagine getting a letter from the Lord like the one that we just read? Wouldn't that be discouraging? Wouldn't that be offensive maybe a little bit? We're going to talk about these things, and we're going to begin with... The beginning of this letter, in the first of every letter, Jesus tells us some things about Himself. And in the beginning of this letter, He says first that He is the Amen. You know what that means? I've noticed since I've been here, maybe is this kind of a new thing for you, Ty, to say, and the congregation said? Is it a new thing? Okay, we've got yes, okay. Amen. What does that mean? Well, amen means the truth. It means so be it, right? Actually, this word amen, John, who wrote this letter of Revelation, used it a lot in all of his writings. In the Gospel of John, it's translated verily, verily in your King James translation, or truly, truly in the New King James. Every time you say that word verily, verily, that's amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, the truth, the word truth, it's amen. I'm the amen. I am the final word. It's the last thing that's said in a prayer, right? It's the amen. It's the final authority. Jesus Christ, as He begins this letter to them, He says, I'm going to tell you something. The one who's speaking to you I'm the truth. I'm the amen. I get the final word about what's said. And then he says this, I am the faithful and true witness. Now what do you think he means by that? Faithful and true witness. You know what a witness is? A witness is someone who speaks the truth of what they've seen. 
okay? We will be involved in some peripheral way probably in the court case against the person who hit Jacob, okay? I wasn't there. I can't be a witness. I can't tell because I I didn't see what happened. I mean, I've read the reports and I've been told I was at the hospital, but I, I don't know what happened. I can't be a witness. But Jesus Christ... He is the faithful and true witness. And you see, these people, they were self-deceived. And Jesus is going to expose their self-deceit with His true, reliable, accurate testimony of their condition. Have you ever had anyone come up to you and say, listen, I'm going to tell you something. And then they give you a witness about you. (laughs) Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. Not long after I started preaching, uh, many of you know Jay Henderson. Jay called me one time and he said, Michael, I need you to come out here and visit. I said, okay. And I went out to visit Jay. And he said, let's go up to my office. (laughs) And he gave me a faithful and true witness about some character flaws that I had that needed corrected if I was going to do this kind of work. You know what? I didn't like that. But he was right. And I've appreciated it and I love him for it. Because he had the courage to tell me the things that I needed to be told. Jesus Christ says to this church, to these people, he said, I'm going to tell you, I am the final word and I'm going to tell you the truth about you. Everything I'm going to say is absolutely the truth. You better be listening. Next, he says this, that he is the beginning of the creation of God. Now, that's a little troubling theologically, isn't it, Timothy? The beginning of the creation, because I thought Jesus wasn't created, right? I mean, doesn't John, the guy who wrote this, say that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was the one who was the only begotten of the Father. So, I mean, there's several things in the Bible that say he wasn't created. What does this mean? He was the beginning of the creation. Well, you see, Greek is like every other language on earth. One word can mean different things, okay? Like the word nice in English. I can say to you, I say, oh, you look nice tonight. Or I can step in a mud puddle and go, that's nice. Well, the word's the same, but it means very different things, right? Okay? This word beginning here, it doesn't always mean the first in order of occurrence. Sometimes this word means origin or source, and that's what it means right here. He is the beginning of the creation of God, meaning He's where it all began. He is the source of all of the creation of God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. You see? He's the source. He's the origin. So you put all this together. He says, listen, I am the final amen, and I am going to speak the absolute truth, and I created you. So what He's saying to these people is, I made you, I know you, And what I say is going to be the final word about you. Now that's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? I mean, that is some credibility. That's some credentials right there if you want to know who's talking. It's a guy who absolutely knows what he's saying, okay? So his next words, 
I know your works. I know your works. Does that send a shiver up your spine? He knows your works. Occasionally, when our kids were young, I would grab one of them and I'd say, Come here. I said, Do you have something you need to tell me? <laughs> and you could just see their, their eyes and their mind going, Oh no, what has he found out about? <laughs> right? Jesus knows. My kids fooled me about a lot of things. You won't fool him. He knows. He knows every thought you think. He knows every word you say. Even when the door's closed and mom and dad can't hear you, he can. He knows everything you do when no one else is watching. He knows your works. You can't fool him. So what he's going to say is going to be the absolute truth because he knows what you did, he knows what you said, and he knows why you did or said that. You know, that was always a big thing in our house. We could discipline the action, but, well, you, don't, you know, you can't attribute to me bad motives, Dad. Okay, I don't know why you did it, but I know what you did. Jesus knows why you did it. He knows the thoughts and the intents and the motives of our heart. And that's what He says to these people. And then He says this, You make me sick. I want to vomit. Now that's pretty graphic, isn't it? Have you ever been kind of sick at your stomach? So sick that the thought of food just made you, I don't even want to think about it because I'll be, I'll throw up. You ever felt that way? Can you imagine Jesus coming in here tonight and you thought it was going to be me, but Jesus says, hey, I'm here. And I say, you can speak. (laughs) And he stands up and he says, I know you and you make me sick. Can you imagine how you'd feel about that? That's what Jesus says to these people. He says, you make me absolutely sick when I think about you and I look at you. He says, you're not hot. I'm sick because you're not hot. You know, in Laodicea, it was different than the other cities around them. Hierapolis had these hot springs that were very therapeutic, and people came from all over to be in these hot springs. Hot purifies. That's why we heat things to purify them. Hot water will purify. It's healing. But these people weren't hot. There was no purification in them. He says, you're not cold. You ever be really hot on a miserable hot day and you get you a good cold glass of water? That's refreshing, isn't it, JR? I mean, it'll just give you a new life. It's refreshing. In Colossae, they were famous for their cold springs. Now, I was at Jerry's house yesterday and I went to get a drink of water and I turned on the tap And it was warm, and I said, Jerry, I think something's wrong with your water. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, it's not cold. 
And he said, well, you know, it, it's maybe warm because it's summer. And I said, but it's not cold. Feel this. And he sticks his hand over there and he goes, yep, that's cold. <laughs> I didn't. I went and got one out of the fridge. <laughs> because that wouldn't have been refreshing. Not throwing you under the bus, Jerry. I appreciate your hospitality. <laughs> the truth is, a good cold glass of water is refreshing. Cold water is very refreshing. These people weren't cold. They didn't refresh anyone. These people were lukewarm. He says, you're lukewarm. It's nasty. It's not good for anything. It's not refreshing. It doesn't purify anything. It doesn't heal anything. Now listen, in the church... We need people who are hot and aren't lukewarm. We need people who will come in and speak to you like Jay did to me and will correct you when you need corrected. We need people who can do that. We need people who care enough about us. You know, when Jay told me, let's go into the office, I have to confess to you, I was a little nervous, okay? You know what? I wasn't the only one nervous. Jay was nervous to have to call me in and talk to me about something. We need people who have the courage to do that. That's one of the responsibilities of the elders of the congregation, is if your life isn't the way it ought to be, to call you aside and go, hey, listen, there's a problem here, and it needs to be addressed. That's healing. That's therapeutic, spiritually speaking. You need that, and so do I. Part of their problem was they didn't think they needed that. And they didn't have it. You know what else we need in churches are people that are refreshing, don't we? You know anyone like that? Anyone that just is always lifting you up? And it's just like a breath of fresh air when they show up and everybody can be sitting there not talking and they walk in and ah, everything's good and everybody begins to visit and they just lift up the people around them. It's a great thing to be that way. Brother Joe Richardson in Bridgeport, Texas, who I always think of. You know, Joe always had, and I've stolen it from him, so it, you know, I'm just confessing that I've done that. But you say, how are you? He always says, I'm fantastic, but I'm getting better. I love that. I love, when I see him, I head over to him to say, hey, Brother Joe, how are you doing? And it's not because I don't know. I know what he's going to say because he just encourages. He has been such a source of encouragement to me through the years as I've done the work of the church. We need people who are refreshing. We need people who have the courage to stand up and be therapeutic to us and to purify. We need both of those. What we don't need is lukewarm. We don't need people that just sit on the fence or just sit in the pew, so to speak. We don't need people that aren't sure they're really in the game. We just sang a song, the battle belongs to the Lord, right? We need warriors. We need people to get in and fight and get off the fence and commit and be a part of what's going on. These people didn't do that. They were busy. They had other things going on in their life. And as a result, Jesus said, you make me sick. 
don't want anything to do with you. How do people get like that? I mean, these people are Christians, aren't they? This is a church he's talking to, right? Obviously, at some point, they repented. They were baptized. They believed in Jesus. At some point, they did. How does this happen in someone's life that they get to where they're just there and that's all? Well, I think we have a little insight into this in his description of them. He said, you think you're rich. You see, they thought they were doing pretty good. But really, they weren't. It was the way they thought about themselves. You know, when you come to Jesus Christ, why do you come to Him? That is rhetorical, but I'm going to let it sit there for a second. Why do you come to Jesus? Because you know you need Him to be saved, right? That's why you come to Jesus. You need being saved. That's the only reason people come to Jesus, is they need salvation. Once you're saved, you've been going to church for a while, you get the church thing in groove, and you're, you're sitting there and listening to the sermons, maybe taking some notes and uh, living your life and not doing too bad. It's hard to remember sometimes that you need Jesus. He said, you think you can see, but you're blind. Have you ever tried to talk to someone that just wouldn't hear anything you had to say? I mean, as soon as you start talking, they're answering you, and they've got a response before anything, and it doesn't, no reason, no thought, it doesn't matter, you're not going to change them. They just had their blinders on. My dad used to accuse me of talking just to hear my head rattle when I was young. Sometimes I had a tendency to just argue, and I wasn't listening, and I wasn't hearing. That's you. You think you can see. You think you understand, but you're not even listening. You don't even hear what's going on. You can't see. You're blind, but you think you can see. You're bankrupt, but you think you got a million dollars. And he says this, you think you're clothed, but you're naked. Any of y'all know the story of the emperor's new clothes? Maybe some of the young ones know. Some of you do. There were these two scam artists who convinced the king that they could weave magic cloth. And it was magic because only really wise, smart people could see it. And dumb people couldn't see it. Well, the king was so prideful that he... By the way, this is just a story. This isn't in the Bible, and it's not true. But the king was so prideful that he didn't want anyone to think he was dumb, and even though there was nothing there, he pretended to see it because he wanted people to think he was smart. And he put on this magic clothes, which really weren't any clothes... And he went out in front of his whole kingdom to show off his fancy new clothes. And everyone laughed at him because he was standing there without any clothes on. That's the description Jesus gives of these people. He says, you think 
you think you've got these big, beautiful clothes on, and you're really streaking at the football game. And it's shameful. And it's embarrassing. This happened to Israel. The very same kind of thing happened to Israel. You know, while they were in the wilderness, every morning they'd get up and there was manna on the ground. That's the way they got their food. God gave them manna every morning except Saturday morning. And on Friday, He gave them twice as much so they didn't have to pick it up on Saturday. Okay? Every single day, they got their food directly from God. Okay? But when they got ready to go in the promised land, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. They weren't wandering around in the desert anymore. They didn't need someone to miraculously give them food. And God gave them a warning. He said this, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land in which you will lack nothing. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today... Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. He said, you know what's going to happen? Is you're going to get in there and every day, instead of needing God to miraculously give you food, well, you've got, you've got vineyards and you've got gardens and, and you've got all kinds. You, you don't need God to give you food. And you're going to start thinking, huh, I'm doing pretty well. My farm is growing. I'm doing well. I don't need anything. When really, you do. You just don't realize that you do. And he said, that's going to happen. You know God made their clothes not wear out the 40 years while they wandered around in the desert? For 40 years? Can you imagine your clothes not wearing out for 40 years? You know why? Because there wasn't a Walmart you could run getting more clothes at. They're in the desert. They got nothing. Now, my wife would probably make me change some clothes anyway, because fashion would change in 40 years. But once you get in the promised land, we don't need God to make our clothes last forever. We run out of tennis shoes. We'll just go get some more. Because we're wealthy now. We're doing good now. And when you're wealthy and you're doing good, guess what happens? You forget you need Jesus. You forget you need God. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. You done well for yourself? I'm proud of you. I think that's great. It's wonderful you live in America and you can do that. I'm going to tell you something. There's people in this world work every bit as hard as you or harder, and they got nothing. It's not because you're so great. It's because God has given you everything you've got. He's given you the power to get what you have. I'm going to tell you, in my life, I have I've preached for a long time. I've done a lot of counseling. And one of the things when you do that, and you're up in front of people and people talk to you and they bring their problems to you, is one of the things that happens, I'm just being honest here, is sometimes you get to feeling like you've got the answers. 
and you know. And well, you know, I could tell him what to do to solve that problem. You can be a fixer. And you get feeling like you've got answers and you know the truth. And I'm going to tell you, it can change in a hurry. I want you to understand when you're standing in the ICU next to your child that's almost dead, you ain't got no answers. I didn't walk into that ICU with a plan. I didn't walk in there with a solution. I didn't walk in there with a, okay, here's what we're going to do to fix this. You know what I walked in there with? Begging God to save His life. That's it. That's all I had. I had nothing but that. And I'm going to tell you, I learned a lesson about being self-reliant. I need God. I need God every day. I can't do this by myself. The worst messes I've ever got in is when I tried to do things my way and handle it by myself. These people in this church, they didn't know that. They thought they were doing just fine. They thought they were wealthy. They lived in a city that was famous for its wealth and its eye salve and its clothing. And this church was famous for its poverty and its blindness and its nakedness. That's shameful. Now I want you to know when we say this church, you know what we're talking about are the individuals, the people. Because the church is the people. Right? It's the people who thought they were doing great, they thought they were doing fine, and really, they weren't. So what does Jesus tell these people? He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold and salve and clothing. He says, I want you to buy this stuff from me. Why? Well, you need gold because you're broke. You need salve because you're blind. You need clothing because you don't have any clothes on. Spiritually speaking. Now, is there anything you can buy from Jesus? I mean, don't we pass the plate on Sunday? Aren't you, are you buying something from Jesus by that? No. You can't buy anything. What's he mean here? What he means here is this He is the only source for these things. You got to go to Him if you want spiritual wealth. You've got to go to Him if you want to be able to see and not have blinders on your eyes the whole life. You've got to go to Him if you want to be clothed in white raiment. The kind of raiment that shows righteousness. And He's the only place you can go. He says this, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So be zealous and repent. I told you all about Jake rebuking me. I believe he did that because he loved me. That's... That's the truth. I want to tell you something. If someone rebukes you, you better appreciate it. You better appreciate it. The people we love with my children, I've chastened and rebuked them many, many times. It's always out of love. Now, I wasn't always right, but it was always out of love. You see, the ones that Jesus loves, He rebukes and He chastens. And He tells them to repent, to be zealous, and to change. Repent means to go a different way. You're going this way. You think you're all that. You need Jesus. Turn around and go the other way. Be zealous and repent. You know what that means? That means run to Jesus. Run to Him. 
don't just meander. Don't take a Sunday afternoon walk. You need Jesus. And there should be nothing that would keep you away from Him. He says this, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You know what Jesus says? He says, I'm outside and I'm knocking and I want to come in. Do you know who he's talking to when he says this? He's not talking to Miley Cyrus. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who are in a church. And he says, I'm outside and I'm knocking. Now whose church is it? Do you know whose church it is? It's the Lord's church, right? It's the church of Christ. It belongs to Him. It's His house. He could kick in the door if He wanted, couldn't He? It's His house. But He's not going to do that. You know why? Because He wants your heart. It's like Timothy's talking to us about in the morning. He's not going to make you. He wants your heart. He wants you to give your heart to Him. He wants you to open and welcome Him into your life and not have areas that have fences around it say, well, Lord, you're welcome, but not here. Come in. Come in, Lord. I want you. I want you to be with me. I want you to eat with me. I want you to watch my entertainment with me. I want you to choose friends with me. I want you with me all the time. Open the door. Look at what God has called us to. Be zealous and repent. Now, I don't know about you personally. I joked yesterday that I've been here enough. I know y'all. I don't know you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if you really every day cling to and depend on Jesus or if you're going, eh, you know, I go to church. I don't know if you're in there fighting and serving God and fighting in His army and hot or cold, refreshing and healing. Or if you're just sitting on a pew, I don't know. But Jesus knows. And if you're just sitting there, He's knocking. What do you care most about? Is your entertainment more important than the church? Are your sports more important than fighting in the cause of Jesus Christ? Are your children more important than Jesus? Are your pets more important than the children of God? Are your pet projects more important than the work of the church? Is your life more important? Or is it more important that your life is in the hands of Jesus? You understand the difference? A lot of us over this past year of COVID, we've been pretty concerned about our lives, haven't we? Pretty concerned about protecting our lives and being careful. Is your life more important? 
Or is it more important that your life is in the hands of Jesus? He stands at the door and knocks. And I don't think it's just a real easy, methodical knock. I think the Lord wants in. Like I said, I don't know you and your heart, but He does. And if He hasn't been in to eat dinner with you, to have a feast with you, you need to welcome Him in. You need to come back to Him. You need to run to Jesus. And you need to open your heart and you need to say, I am all of you and none of me. Because I know it's all the Lord. I hope you've been touched tonight. I hope you think about this. And what I ask you to do, we're fixing to sing an invitation song. You can grab your songbooks if you want. What I ask you to do is this. I ask you to examine yourself in the light of the things we've talked about tonight. Are you in the game and fighting for the Lord? Or are you not? If you are, God bless you. Let's go. If you're not, open the door and let Him in and start now. Repent and be zealous. If the church can assist you in any way by baptizing you into Christ or praying for you or with you or counseling with you, anything the church can do to help you, we offer that invitation if you'll come to the front while we stand and sing.